Coast Church Charlotte. Get started. All of my attempts to create a high quality recording in in my computer instead of the low res that is done by Google for three weeks in a row now seem to be failing miserably. I am discouraged by it. And now we're going to have a time of prayer where all of you rebuke the enemy from discouraging the pastor in the area of technology. So that's the plan. I'm going to need somebody to get busy right now. <laughs> I'm about to say some things that ain't supposed to be said. This drives me crazy. I behave now. <laughs> we rebuke that in Jesus' name. Come on now. That's all I needed right there. Now we're back on track. Ready to go. All right. We are continuing. Start the recording. Sure I've got it, that going. Oh, you are recording. I'm sorry. My we've bad. Got, we've got various things going here. <laughs> Hello, everybody. We love you. God bless you. Thankful that you could join with us for a little while. We are continuing in the gospel of Mark. I love the gospels. If I could only pick uh, a handful of books to read, it would be the gospels. Because the testimony of what Jesus did for us is the heart of the gospel. Every other book in the Bible is made possible by the accomplishment of Jesus Christ and his work of redemption um, that's testified and witnessed to in the gospel. And so I love these gospels. We are at a unique place in the scripture. Jesus is walking toward Jerusalem to give his life as a ransom for many. He is bearing in his heart all of our, not just our sins, but what could have been if we would have been able to receive him as the Messiah. He weeps over Jerusalem, and that's not simply a sadness for their transgressions, failures, and sins. It's a sadness for that which could have been, but was not. None of us know what that would look like because we failed. Uh, and by we, I mean the house of Israel failed at the moment of decision. I wonder what that would look like. And I think a day will come when we are caught away to be with the Lord. That's probably fairly a fairly accurate future of what could have been uh, to accept uh, Jesus Christ rather than to reject him. But in some ways, the rejection was not just in the life of Jesus. The children of Israel, you will remember if you're at all a Bible student, you will remember that the children of Israel have been rejecting God for generations. He would send his disciples to them and they would uh, mock them, beat them, scourge them, and ultimately uh, kill them. And Jesus finally gives us this example in the terms and in the sound of a story. He said the owner of the vineyard decided if, if he sent his son, surely they would respect my son, even if they could not respect uh, my representatives, could not respect the men representing my business and my ownership, surely they would respect my son. But the renters of the vineyard did not respect the son and killed him. That is how Jesus is presented. And he tells this story, this teaching story, this spiritual moment, this poignant spiritual insight to all who would hear him uh, 
And now he walks toward that city. He walks to Jerusalem and he is going to be the one who is in many ways, well, not just in many ways, but in all ways, uh, betrayed, lied about, uh, ultimately crucified. And so we are in this compression. We are in these, these last moments, these last days. Last week, we talked about how Jesus reminds them of his coming sacrifice. And he reminds them that it's a kingdom unlike anything they've ever known. And the path to excellence, accomplishment, purpose in this kingdom is to turn away from self-seeking and try to elevate, bless, and exalt others. To turn away from your own progress, your own merit, and begin to celebrate others. Uh, I want to be the first one to say this, no matter how long you've done this thing, that's a choice you have to make on a daily basis. Because when you're tired, you don't want to make that choice. You have to choose again. When you're weary with life, you have to make that choice. Because in your weariness, you, you don't want to prefer others. Uh, in your exhaustion, you don't want to care about someone else's needs. You're sick of other people. <laughs> that sounds terrible, but I think that's a very human, a human emotion. And so here Jesus is even now choosing. He's walking toward Jerusalem. He's going to go by Jericho on the way. I want to bring out some uh, interesting things uh, as we proceed through this text. But before we read together, I want to connect the amazement of the disciples. Mark chapter number 10 and verse number 32. Hopefully you have your Bibles open in your lap. Let's read 32 together. Now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was going before them and they were amazed. Who rushes to pay a price for someone else? Who hurries to pay the debt of someone else? The only way that picture makes sense, if you understand the love that motivates it, if you do not understand the love that motivates it, you will not understand why Jesus hurries. Uh, Even today, we are amazed when we see people hurry to do something that is not in their self-interest because we are all slaves to self and we all serve self, I, the, uh, among you, uh, and to turn away from that and to rush to help, uh, to rush to pay someone, someone else's debt, to cover their sin. Uh, it's amazing. So now this is the context and verse 46, uh, notice what's happening. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. They come to Jericho as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when Jesus, when, excuse me, when Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still. If we were all together, I would make you say that back to me. Jesus stood still. He stopped his headlong march to Jerusalem. He stopped from purpose. He had set his face as a flint to go to Jerusalem. He was hurrying ahead of the disciples. There was a sense of urgency in his pace. But when he hears this man, blind Bartimaeus, cry out, have mercy on me, he stops. And he 
asks that this blind blind man be brought to him and they say to him this is verse 49 be of good cheer rise jesus is calling you and throwing aside his garment notice that the blind man rose and came to jesus so jesus answered and said to him what do you want me to do for you the blind man said to him rabbi that i may receive my sight then jesus said to him go your way your faith has made you well and immediately immediately he received his sight and followed jesus on the road he received his sight he followed jesus on the road uh so many details in the story that i i as a a lover of these passages and as a student uh, of scripture and that's all any of us ever are none of us ever become scholars even though others may think of us as a scholar not me but someone who is learned learned in in these uh these scriptures i am a forever student in these scriptures uh, we celebrate blind bartimaeus i i love the story i've preached the story uh you guys have heard the story preached it is a true picture of desperate faith desperate faith there is some association in the scripture i can't say that i explain it easily or understand it easily there is some mystery wrapped up in it but there is some element that i want to get and i want you to get in that people of a certain desperate faith are highly prone to receive a miracle where those who came out of interest those who came out of entertainment they are highly <laughs> unlikely to receive a miracle so to make that fresh in our minds miracles seem to seek out the desperate faith and they seem to step right on by those who come out simply in distraction and entertainment um i don't know how that is lived out in our lives because the truth is we go to church on a regular basis and if we every time we were in church acted like blind bartimaeus uh, there wouldn't be many people hearing much about jesus there'd be a lot of people distracted by our craziness um how do we live out desperate faith and not make every service about an attention seeking style even if our heart is in its motivation not seeking atten- attention but seeking god how do we live out desperate faith when we spend so much time so much time in the presence of god through joining with other believers and being worshipers uh you will notice that the disciples never approach jesus like blind bartimaeus were they wrong were they out of order no um i have i've heard people preach this story and uh the story comes down to some version of this if you'll get desperate today and if you'll get out of the pew and if you'll then you'll be like blind bartimaeus you'll get your miracle and i always think maybe i mean <laughs> you'll never see the disciples approach jesus like this were they wrong um jesus called them i would say i would say this there is something spiritually profound when your faith rises to a moment of spiritual opportunity 
Um, I, I don't think you can manipulate God by shouting louder than anyone else in the church, but there's great value of shouting in the church. Do you see? Um, we can't simply have uh, a simplistic uh, entrapment of God where, you know, if, if you would have shouted your hair down, then you would have been more likely to get a miracle. Maybe. Uh, okay, how many times did this happen? It happened once. Do you see what I'm saying? There is more to the story than how he shouted. There is this principle of desperation in the spirit. Now, I've grown up my whole life in uh, boisterous shouting, dancing services. I am highly comfortable with it. And I, I have seen many, many more people shout than I have seen people get a visible miracle of God. It's not simplistic, but there is underneath this, this teaching principle of living with desperate faith. I don't want a solution of the flesh. I don't want a, another coping system whereby I put up with this trial another day. I want a move of God. There is within my heart this desperation. There is something that happens with desperate faith. It's out of that that all the great spiritual awakenings of history come. And then it's more than a miracle of healing, although that is part of it. It's now a, a religious awakening. It is a, a spiritual hearkening unto God. Because after the miracle, what do you do? Do you keep screaming like blind Bartimaeus or do you follow Jesus to a cross? Do you see the depth of the story once you take it seriously and you don't read it as a formula whereby you can entrap God? Do you see what do you do after the miracle when your spiritual eyes are open? It's time to follow Jesus. And where's Jesus going? Jesus is going to Jerusalem. And what's going to happen in Jerusalem? There he's going to lay down his life for all of us, but more. He's going to bid all of us to follow in that example, do you see? And carry our cross of spiritual purpose and live a life of selfless intention to make a broken world whole. I love the story because it is an ama it's the kind of story that is amazing to tell to a Sunday school class of any age. Now, having tried to see it, to take it seriously as spiritual principle. Uh, the first thing that just I cannot get beyond is the necessity, do you see, of desperate faith, the necessity of passion after God. If that means weeping in a prayer room all by yourself, there's a desperate passion for God. If that means shouting louder than anyone on Saturday or Sunday or Monday, you get the idea. There's this passion for God. We can't lose that church. We can't become professional Christians church. We have to have a passion that motivates us, that keeps us returning again and again. Nobody lives forever on the mountaintop. It's what do you do when you find yourself in the valley? Do you turn your heart back to that call of God with a desperate intensity to be used of God? And so that's the first lesson uh, that is here. Is there lessons of prophetic nature? Uh, oh, yes. Are there symbols uh, in the story? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, the first thing I want to bring to your attention is um, what he says. We're going to say first, let's see if I can remember this. We're going to say what he says. Then we're going to say where it happened. And then we're going to look at the, all this is symbols and teaching. We're going to look at the symbol of what Jesus did, what he says, where it happened, 
and what Jesus did. First of all, what he says, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Um, Jesus had wanted his followers to see him in a messianic way. And when they struggle to do so, it hurts him. Let me give you this example. Lazarus has died. Jesus says he will live. The sisters say, yeah, well, we know after the resurrection, he's going to live again. And Jesus basically <laughs> says, though, he wants to challenge them. I am the resurrection and life. Can you see me not as Jesus of Nazareth? Can you see me as son of David? Can you see me as not rabbi and teacher? Can you see me as more than rabbi? Can you see me as Messiah and Savior? Where does the son of David come from? Well, let me take you back into an Old Testament uh, review, 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to read it, verse number 11. I'm in the ESV version. If you want to turn in your Bibles there. From the time that I appointed judges over my people, Israel, and I will give you rest your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. What's happening here? God is giving a promise to David. When your days are fulfilled and you lay down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline with the rod of men and with the stripes of men. What are we talking about? He does not commit iniquity, but he will carry the iniquities. Do you see how prophecy threads together of us all? He will carry the iniquities of us all. And what will happen as he carries our iniquities? He will be smitten with rods. He will be bitten, beaten with a cat of nine tails. Do you see? So this blind man, when he cries, Jesus, thou son of David, what is he referencing? He's a refer referencing the promise that God gave to King David through the prophet Samuel that all the house of Israel celebrates. And whenever they believe someone qualifies as messianic status, they cry out to them, son of David. Um, here, Lazarus is in the tomb and the, the, his sisters are weeping. If only you had been here, if only you had been here, Jesus. I am the resurrection of life. And then what does Jesus do? He weeps because it would have been nice if the people closest to him could have seen his messianic status. And he keeps walking to Jerusalem. He keeps walking to Jerusalem. He hurries. The disciples are amazed. They can't imagine a kingdom where the king of the kingdom celebrates by death the, its beginning and he hurries to Jerusalem it would have been nice if they had seen but they did not see it would have been nice if he would have been anointed as a sacrifice but no one saw except for a woman of ill repute and what does she do she anoints him with an alabaster box he's now anointed here a blind man so first of all a sinner woman anoints him and now walking into or from in Jericho, which is on the way to Jerusalem from where he's coming. Uh, he is not just anointed. He is now, he is now 
as it were, coronated. It's not the religious elite who proclaim who he is. It's a blind man. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. That's what Bartimaeus says. Now, where does it happen? It happens in Jerusalem, in Jericho. What's interesting about Jericho is Jericho has one of the largest populations of the tribe of Levi of any of the cities around Jerusalem. Isn't that an amazing uh, little detail uh, to have of all uh, these? In fact, some commentators say that there were upwards of 30,000 or 20,000 priests and Levites that lived around um, this this city of Jericho. Uh, it was in many ways known as a center of Levite life, a center of priestly life in Jericho. And it's here in Jericho. The people who should have proclaimed him could not see because they were blind. But a blind man could see and proclaimed him in the place where the real blind would not see. Do you see the depth, the beauty of these tapestry of prophecy? If you, if, if you, if there's any testimony in all the story of sacred writing that stands alone, head and shoulders above all other sacred books, the Bible is incomparable. There's nothing even close to it, to the textures and the layers of testimony upon testimony upon testimony upon testimony. If you don't want to believe in the church, all right, but you better believe in the Bible. If you don't want to believe in the preacher, all right, you do you, but you better believe in the Bible. There is nothing comparable in all the annals of human writing and biblical teaching. There is nothing comparable do you see, to the beauty of the scripture here in the city where so many of the Levites live, the ones who should have proclaimed him, they're blind, but in their city, a blind man can see. And he speaks not with eyesight. Every preacher in the history of the world has used this. Not with eyesight. He speaks with insight because the people with eyesight have no insight. It takes someone without eyesight to have insight. And he speaks, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stops. Now, now we're talking about what Jesus did. What Jesus did. All of hell could not stop him on his road to Jerusalem. His disciples lag behind him, panning, slow down, Jesus. Why are you in such a hurry, Jesus? Hell has tried to stop him. Doubters have tried to stop him. People who hated him have tried to stop him. He hurries toward Jerusalem. The Bible says he set his face as a flint. He would not stop for nothing. He would not turn away. Who could stop Jesus on his way to his purpose? Think about that. Who could stop Jesus? on his way to purpose. Power will not stop him. The gates of hell will not stop him. What stops Jesus on his way to his purpose? Well, I'll tell you what, compassion. Jesus stops. In fact, if you wanted to preach this, a great title would be the man who stopped Jesus. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stops. Now, real quick, 
There's a lesson here of living a marginalized life because in this story, there is no one more marginalized than this blind man. Um, they did not even respect him when they knew he needed a miracle more than them all. They told him to be quiet in some of the passages. This this story is told in all the gospels, which is, is, is fairly unique um, to have all the gospels uh, tell a story. Um, it is... It is normally because three of them are synoptic and they follow the same pattern. That's why they call it synoptic. And one of them, the Gospel of John, is unique in that it starts with a different uh, communication uh, style and goal. And it does not follow in a type of narrative, but begins to present the deity of God, of Jesus Christ, uh, not just the story of his humanity. Um, it is, it is, it's, it's, a celebrated story and Jesus asks him this question uh, what do you want to do for me now before he comes close the man throws away his his cloak of uh, a low remember he sits on the side of the of the road um, and he's there through all types of weather blazing sun uh, a cold of winter it's amazing to think that deserts get cold but Deserts are desert not because they're hot. They're deserts because they're dry. And if you can freeze to death in the desert, <laughs> many people have. <laughs> it's, it's a dry problem, not a hot, cold problem or just hot problem. Uh, this cloak is his sanctuary. It is his protection against the world. Um, if he could see, he could make a different life. Um, further, um, there are some commentators that talk about how um, it was an identity for him because uh, beggars uh, were oftentimes known by their cloaks because they spent their life crouching on the side of the road um, using a cloak as their uh, on which to sit and that which to wrap themselves with. Uh, he, he, lead, he lets it go. If Jesus is calling me, everything is about to change. I love that faith. I would like to live with that faith in my life. If Jesus is calling me, is about to change. And then verse 52, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you whole. Now this past Sunday, um, I, I, I preached about, <clears throat> I think it was this past Sunday, maybe it was the Sunday before, <laughs> um, I preached about how easy it is to blame uh, the church, to blame. Um, I brought my son to your disciples and he, they were unable to deliver him. And Jesus stops the blame game of the father and says, if you had faith, uh, you wouldn't be going through this. And then he challenges the faith of the disciples later when he says, look, you can't, you know, prayer and fasting is the path to this kind of faith. Spiritual disciplines, the act of becoming a person of faith over time, spiritual disciplines over time. That's the point of prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting is the opposite of a microwave meal. It's the opposite of fast food. It's a slow cook roast. Um, for all of us, the challenge is faith. And Jesus compliments this man on his faith as almost to give him the credit, which is an astonishing thing to me. Almost as if to give this man the credit, not to take the credit himself. Thy faith, your faith 
has made you whole. Now you begin to see this. Uh, the following thing that we're going to talk about next week is entering Jerusalem because this healing of Bartimaeus is in many ways the last testimony before he enters the city and begins the week of Passover. Here's a man with desperate faith. He will not be um, silenced by the crowd. Uh, all of us have a sense of if I do that, someone's going to fear. Someone's going to think I'm strange. If fear is greater than need, you will never have the desperate faith to call on God like blind Bartimaeus did. You have to have a sense of need which is more than just your pain, but is mixed somehow with your faith that this isn't hard for God. What's hard for me is not hard for God. I have to somehow have this mix in my heart, not just of my pain, but this, this sense of this is not hard for God. This, this, could be, this could be changed. This could all be made so much better and, and, and very quickly. <laughs> have to go through this DC and so I I want in my life to live with a sense of desperate faith and I know I know there's a temptation to try to figure God out where well if I just shouted a certain way or I I, I was really loud or I made a scene is that the same thing as faith no that that's flesh trying to make a divine theological calculus of sorts where we figure that out that that's missing the point um it's not a show i put on and then i deserve it it's not about deserving it it is somehow this 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 becoming within us this belief this sincere childlike expectation of this isn't a big deal for god jesus is coming by there is no reason why I cannot receive my miracle right now. So let me be a faith <clears throat> preacher here for a moment. I love to preach faith. Let me preach some faith to you. It would not be a hard thing for God to change everything that is giving you so much pain in your life. <clears throat> what it seems difficult to you and what seems difficult to me is not a hard thing for God. There has to be something within us that craves God to show up and manifest his glory in our life. There has to be something in me that sighs and cries. Oh God, oh that thou would rend the heavens. Oh that thou would show up. The prophet from the Old Testament, you know where I'm going with this. God, this everything that's keeping me up at night, it's nothing for you, oh Lord. You know, you have it. Jesus, have mercy on me. And then to live in some manner, not to work up a hex, you know, a chicken bone, and then you spin around and you hit a pot, and then God has to do it. No, but to demonstrate that faith. I, I'm just looking for God to show up. Living that way is a lifetime pursuit. 
of the presence of God in our life. And more than pursuit, it's a lifetime celebration of who God is and what God can do. And somehow in this mixture of choosing to live a life of worship, a life of becoming prayer and fasting, a life, like a life of seeking, asking, knocking, and then to truly celebrate with a childlike expectancy of what God can do in your life. Just to have that sense of Jesus is coming by. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And then when you know he's stopped from rushing, um, God's always busy, but he's not too busy. God's always on his way to do his will, but he's not too busy. And he can be stopped by an act of faith, a voice of praise, and a cry for mercy. Here's a man marginalized by a society who stops Jesus when all of hell couldn't stop Jesus. All the troubles of heaven and earth couldn't stop Jesus. All the threats of pain and blood and destruction and laceration and nails through his hands and a whip on his back, none of it could stop him. But here's a man who stops Jesus with this expectancy. There's no reason why I, I couldn't. I, I mean, Jesus is coming by. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Pray with me right now, church. Lord, we pray this prayer together. We pray this prayer together. Have mercy on us, oh God. Teach us to seek you with a zeal and forgive us of our religious apathy and our faith reticence where we are better at coping with stuff than we are simply believing you can, celebrating your potential and worshiping you, calling out in mercy, knowing who you are, what you can do, ignoring the prissy Levites around us who they can quote the law all day long, but they cannot deliver my, they cannot fix my broken eyes. They can debate theology all day long, but they cannot make me whole. I'm stuck here in this city of priests and I'm still blind. Jesus is coming through. You can do for me in a moment, Jesus, when all of the theology, all of the religiosity, all of the debate, all of the religious habits of this priestly city can't do. So I'm going to ignore them and I'm going to call on you. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I feel the presence of the Lord in my heart right now. And I feel like there is no telling what God can do even now for the individuals who are living with a real zealous spiritual anticipation, able to call upon the promises of God, able to stand in faith, uh, able to speak faith. Um, our ability to speak is always a forerunner of our willing to willing our ability to believe just as God spoke a world into existence and then 
told us we are made in his image and we are given the power to speak. We can speak, not just a denial of reality, but an acknowledgement of who he is and a celebration of what he can do. So when I am in some way struggling, I can't always fix my emotions, but I can control my tongue. And if I can control my tongue, it may be that it isn't long before my emotions begin to be influenced by what I say. So I want to challenge all of us as a church to live this way, where there is in our heart a carefully cultivated, desperate faith. You can cultivate that desperate faith. You can additionally celebrate God's infinite power. You've cultivated, you're cultivating your desperate faith. I don't want a solution of this world. I don't want what this world has. I am hungry for God. And you can also, having cultivated this, this hunger for the things of God, you can celebrate the infinite supply of heaven. This wouldn't be hard for God. This is a small thing for God. And having done this, as it were, stirring up of your soul, I think your faith is going to be in some way strengthened by the work of praise, the work of uh, choosing with intention what you want out of life. I think your faith can grow through the disciplines of prayer, fasting, exercising your faith, calling upon the name of the Lord, celebrating what he can do. Even if you don't have faith for what you need, you can still celebrate that God could do it. And it would, it would rise, it would raise your spirit. Even if I don't have faith for an immediate healing in my body, it would be good for me to celebrate that God could do it. Does that make sense? I begin to thank him. He could do, God, this isn't hard for him. If you do that for a little while, it won't be long before your faith begins to respond to your praise. First comes the praise, then comes the earthquake. We want a different order. We want the earthquake. And then if you show up, God, then we'll give you praise have time to preach that. That's another message, but it's going to be good when I finally get to it. Any uh, specific uh, questions? I don't see any posted here. Since I have you and we're all together, before we sign off, uh, why don't we pray our prayer list of prayer requests that have been submitted? And we're going to pray this prayer list together. Um, you can pray with me as I say the names. Um, if you want to go to First Church Community, you can see these yourself. Lord, we're praying today for Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.